We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this show will be talking javi Vinny, the Lions, Pulisic, McKenney, Dest, Geo, Flo, KDB, U.S. Soccer Coaches Convention, Landon Donovan, Brad Friedel, Connecticut United, 20 years on from retirement, BitConned, and so much more. But first joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this Monday, January 15th in the year 2024? Doing well after a busy weekend of NFL playoff action. Congratulations on your Detroit Lions. Thank you very much. Uh, For those that watch the pod, you can see me in all my glory here in a bit of solidarity, not just with uh, the Michiganders out there, um, but much of the uh, country is freezing their ass off right now. So I got my little, you know, hat on here, my USA hat. But as you mentioned, let's not bury the lead. How about them Lions, my friend? Uh, It was wonderful. It was emotional. My wife, tears streaming down her eyes. Um, It was romantic. Um, It was also interesting, Mossy, as I was watching this game, and for those that maybe don't follow American football, whatever, um, you know, first time in 30 years uh, that the uh, Detroit Lions have won a uh, a, uh, home playoff game. And it was just... It, it was it was just a wonderful celebration of a city, obviously that means a tremendous amount to me, an area of um, you know of the world that made me who I am. But I also couldn't help thinking while I was watching this this celebration, how the hell is it that MLS still does not have a Detroit team? Um, you know, and I look, I am a proud owner of uh, Detroit City there, but you you see the passion, you see the numbers, um, you see. Uh, what that city is, and especially downtown, which is what um, has been worked on, and to be fair, has improved over the years. And there was a time a few years ago when it, there was a possibility, and <laughs> you know they snatched defeat from the jaws of uh, a victory. But congratulations uh, to the Lions. Moving on, and yet another home game, by the way, next uh, next week. And I think there is a kind of a feel good feeling when you are watching the Lions. Obviously. Those like myself and others that are that are from Michigan, that are from Detroit, it's near and dear to us. But I also get the sense that there's a lot of people that are, you know, into this kind of ride uh, that is happening with the uh, the Detroit Lions. So it's fun to see. And uh, did you watch the game? I did. Yeah. And what'd you think? 
They played great. Do you think the Detroit Lions have what it takes to possibly win a Super Bowl? Dare, not, dare we dream? It's not outside the realm of possibility this year. Uh, and you know who's not winning a Super Bowl are the uh, the uh, Cowboys over there of Dallas. They they flame out. They bomb out to uh, the the cheese people up there. Uh, the the Green Bay people uh, down there in Dallas came in and said, "No, not so fast." So it was an interesting day of American football that uh, that we watched. The Kansas City Chiefs also victorious. I don't think we've discussed this on the pod. Where are you on this whole Taylor Swift situation? I don't particularly uh, understand the the angst relative to the amount of times that Taylor Swift is showing. This is one of the most famous people in the world showing up at an entertainment event, which is what these games are. Um, I don't think it's a distraction. I think, to be quite honest with you, uh, it brings more people into the tent. And even if you're the NFL, I know they can pick and choose, unlike unlike soccer, that we want as many people to come in as possible. But even for the NFL, which is why you are seeing it, and it has not been kiboshed, and there are uh, times throughout the game that you are going to see here, that because it, it rates, literally it rates in terms of, uh, of ratings. People care. People will watch. It doesn't detract from my viewing pleasure of a football game. Raise my hand. I'm not the, the, the biggest football fan out there. But I think if you are bent out of shape, because they show Taylor Swift in the audience. I mean, last night we saw Eminem in the audience on a consistent basis. Nobody's screaming and yelling about that. So this is a big celebrity that's at a game, that's celebrating, that has a connection on the field to somebody on the field. And even if she didn't, by the way, she's still one of the biggest stars in the world going to the game. So I, I don't get what all the hoopla is about. Have you ever done any swag surfing? What's swag surfing? That's back and forth? Is that what was that with the dance that they were doing? Correct. I didn't know it actually had a name. I can, I can guarantee you that I have never done any swag surfing. And, you know, I know people said it's cringy and all that kind of stuff. But look, it must be difficult for her to... I, nobody is authentic, ultimately, that is in that type of limelight. But to the extent that she is at least trying to be in this moment... You know, she should just say, screw everybody. Who cares what everybody else says? Have fun. Do what you're going to do. If it lasts forever, great. If it lasts for another week, who cares? Have, have fun. Enjoy the game. It didn't, again, it didn't uh, take away, as far as I'm concerned, with, uh, uh, with the experience of watching the game. And not for nothing, but the Chiefs won in a really cold game and a really cold field. And so if they can continue to win, that's a good thing. No matter what, she's going to be blamed and, you know, the, the Yoko Ono type of, <laughs> of phenomenon will happen. But, you know, I, I don't listen to her from an artistic perspective. I don't listen to a lot of her music, but she's incredibly talented and legendarily successful in what she is doing. So, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't get all the, uh, the craziness going around. Um, did you watch anything interesting? I did. Last night, uh, a new season of True Detective got underway. <sighs> Ooh. starring Jodie Foster. But you're watching it episode to episode now because it's not the whole thing is not done. Correct. Week yeah. to week. Uh, this season looks very promising. Hu uh, great reviews. I've been yes. reading some of the reviews. I mean, Jodie Foster, it's hard not to have a good product when you have somebody of that quality. But she's also, you know, coming in the heels of some, some pretty big stars and some recognizable and, you know, I think um, everybody agreed pretty awesome types of previous seasons. So she's got a lot to live up to, but it sounds like so far, so good. So far, so good. Ooh, okay. I can't, I can't wait till uh, that 
ultimately finishes, because as we know, for those that have listened or haven't listened, I guess, my um, steadfast rule is I will only watch something if I can binge it. It has to be either a limited series or it just has to come to its finality um, and uh, there are no more uh, episodes. I, I thought I had mentioned this before, but I don't think that I did. But I watched a, um, a documentary called BitConned. Have you heard about this? No. It's on Netflix and it's about three, three dudes. I mean, let's be honest, three douches if you really look at it, that kind of exploit this, um, the, you know, the cryptocurrency market out there. Uh, not just exploit the, the market, but scam a bunch of people out of millions of dollars and, and investors out of millions of dollars. And look, it, it, you end up just feeling dirty at the end of it. And you certainly don't look at these young men um, in any shining light. They, you know, look, it must be, there's, it's one thing to kind of fake it till you make it. I, I, I get that. And sometimes you have to appear more than you are in order to get what you want. That's, that's different than actively going out there trying to deceive people and in the process taking their money that they're never ever going to get back. Now, I know the cryptocurrency world is kind of dark and is kind of ripe for this type of stuff. And I think this documentary shows how ripe it has been. Also shows something that is as old as time where if it's, if it's too good to be true, it, it probably isn't true. But people get big eyes, especially on new and emerging types of... Uh, investment out there and they want to get in, they want to get in on the ground floor and they want to ride it and they want to make, uh, make a lot of money. And like I said, sometimes, um, it blinds you to the reality, even for some very, very smart people, some people that have had incredible success, some very rich people, uh, out there. It's amazing how easily you can, um, detach money from them. And this this documentary shows it. So I do recommend it. It's on uh, Netflix, like I, like I said. Um, should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Where should we start? Let's start with the Spanish Super Cup final in Saudi Arabia. Real Madrid with a 4-1 win over Barcelona. Vinicius Jr. with a first-half hat-trick. Rodrigo got the other. Lewandowski scored for Barcelona, who had Araujo sent off. Uh, we'll end by talking about the Saudi Arabia aspect of this, but a couple of thoughts on the match. Vinicius is the first Brazilian to score a hat-trick in a Clásico since Romario in 94, which is interesting when you consider the players who have played in this rivalry. Ronaldo on both sides. Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Kaká, Neymar. Did you watch the Romario clip I sent you from his hat-trick in 94? Well, I mean, Vinny loves Romario. Uh, there's, you know, an, an homage. He, he readily admits that he's one of his... Um, uh, you know, one of his idols, and if not his main idol. Okay, Masi, when I think of a, a Spanish Super Cup, I always think about Saudi Arabia. That's the first thing that I that I think about. <clears throat> I think that that's, in, in a bigger picture uh, way of looking this, we're going to be heading to Saudi Arabia a lot over the next years. They have a tremendous amount of money. They have a tremendous amount of ambition. Having said that, the actual game on the field was incredibly enjoyable, and certainly from a Real Madrid perspective, but it also did bring up uh, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting thoughts as to, especially from the Barcelona side. And so we should definitely get, uh, get into that, but all in all great, I guess, great goals can be debated. Um, but there was only one team ultimately in this, despite the goal and even the red card, it was a fait accompli still, it was over. 
On the day that Ancelotti officially spurned Brazil and re-signed with Real Madrid, I fired off a bunch of tweets about it, acknowledged that it was a very bad thing. But I did say the silver lining was Ancelotti continuing to manage Vinicius, Rodrigo, and Endrick, who's arriving next season on a daily basis, would virtually ensure that they would arrive at the next World Cup in the best possible form at club level. It's incumbent on the Brazil coach to then get the best out of him at the international level. Brazil do have a new permanent coach, by the way, this guy, Dorival Jr. We'll get into that on a different day. But I continue to marvel at the job Ancelotti has done with Vinicius. This guy could not finish, and now he's become absolutely deadly in front of goal. I mean, Ancelotti, I, I don't know if you can put your finger on his greatness. And it's one thing, just the results, obviously, they speak for themselves. But I do think that there is a less is more type of approach. and. I think that that particular approach obviously works at an elite super club like Real Madrid, as opposed to other places where it might not, you have to be maybe more hands on. But sometimes I would think uh, at that level with this collection of talent that we know is about managing egos, oftentimes as opposed to managing the actual kicking of the ball, sometimes it's as much about what you don't say as what you do say. And I, I get the feeling that he is a man of few words, but when he does speak, um, they carry a a uh, a pop, if you will, and people certainly listen. On the other side, this Barcelona team, because if, if you watch this game, as much credit as Ancelotti will get, there there is a part of me that looks at it, at this game and says, you know, w- when Xavi was hired, it was almost a messiah type of situation. Here, you're looking at, you know, arguably. Not just one of the great players in the world, but I think a lot of people even more so think about him as one of the great thinkers of the game and the way that he played in the economy of motion um, and in the ruthlessness of the way he went about his job. And so you're hoping, like any great player, you want them to be able to translate that to the coaching, uh, the coaching position. And it's not always that easy. But for example... As good as Xavi was um, as a as a player, when I see this Barcelona team defend like this, and a lot of attention is on from a tactical perspective, this incredibly high line, is that should that be attributed to Xavi, or is that just these incredible players? And even from Barcelona, it's incredible players just screwing up out there. Because if this is to be attributed to Xavi, this is a bad, bad look for one of the great theoretical masterminds of the game. I think it is on Xavi, yeah. He has this stubborn insistence on playing the Barcelona way, which obviously with the ball entails a lot of possession, but without it entails high pressing, high line, and it just made no sense against that opponent with players like Vinicius and Rodrigo. So I think he set up his team to fail. Well, then, is it really the Barcelona way? I mean, the irony is that Xavi wants to play in a way that requires a Xavi and, and others, but requires a Xavi that they, they don't have right now. So is it really a style? Is it really an identity? Or was it, again, just the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the timing of when this group was born and what they, they could and the ultimate golden generation that made the style as opposed to a style that, you you continue to foster going forward. Yeah, they're chasing ghosts there. I agree with you. Now, it's interesting. We've talked about this. Spain has been able to maintain that style and play at a high level, regardless of who the coach is, regardless of who the players are. 
But with Barcelona, it's been a bit more of a struggle. Although even Spain, the trophies have dried up ever since that generation exited the scene. So yeah, I think you're always in trouble when you're uh, insisting on a certain style of play when you maybe don't have the pieces to execute it as well as you did in the past. Well, speaking of being in trouble, uh, but we saw we were watching, for those that watched the Cowboys game, you know, Jerry Jones was, was not happy after the game. And we know that uh, he does not suffer fools. Is this a situation where you think that Javi is in trouble? It's trending in the wrong direction. I don't think he's in trouble yet, but after winning La Liga last season, it does feel like they're regressing there. To hop back to Real Madrid for one second, with Bellingham flourishing in this sort of false nine role, even though he didn't score, I thought he was sensational yeah. in that game. Uh, Vinicius, we come to expect him to score every single game. Yeah. So. Vinicius and Rodrigo benefiting from all the freedom. There's starting to be an undercurrent of, does Mbappe really make that much sense? Now, if you can sign Mbappe, I think you do it and you figure it out. But nevertheless, it's at least a conversation that's taking place in the Madrid media. What do you make of that? Well, Mbappe is still better than what they have. So if you have an opportunity to improve, and this is taking away dynamics, um, which are important. And again, for Ancelotti, he has to, figure out if this is, you know, if dropping Mbappe into your locker room is dropping a bomb in terms of damaging what you have cultivated, then yeah, that has to be taken into account. But ultimately, there's nobody on, on Real Madrid that does what Mbappe does. So it, it, it gives you incredible depth because you have world-class talent that's going to get pushed out, but you're putting arguably the best player in the game today into a lineup. And I don't think Ancelotti or anybody else is going to say, no, we can't possibly uh, can't possibly do that. And what Real Madrid has positioned themselves all, all after all of these years as it lives up to that, which is important and continuing to kind of live up to the brand that is, which is Galacticos bringing in stars. Well, there's very few that are bigger than Mbappe right now. You mentioned Saudi Arabia. It was a decidedly pro-Real Madrid crowd, which I think speaks to in this post-Messi era how much Barcelona have kind of lost their pizzazz. But you are reading reports about the bubble bursting in Saudi Arabia a little bit. Attendance for these Saudi League games hasn't been that high. The government is talking about cutting back on the spending. And some of the players that went over there are feeling disenchanted and want to come back, including Karim Benzema, who's been linked to all sorts of teams, including LAFC. What do you make of that? Masi, these players are not going to Saudi Arabia for the entertainment and the culture and the food and the lifestyle. They're going because they're getting a boatload of money. So it's not surprising to me that some of them, especially players like Benzema that already have a boatload of money, if and when it gets old. I don't think it's necessarily an eye-opening surprise for them what the day in and day out reality of living in Saudi Arabia is. I just think that, you know, they have short attention spans and they've gotten to the point when they said, okay, well, I'm making a boatload of money. It's not as fun. I'm not enjoying it either on or off the field. And there might be other things and other places where I'm not making as much money, but, I, but that other 22 and a half hours is much more palatable. And that's the advantage that someone like MLS uh, has. And by the way, that's the advantage that MLS and North America, let's say, has over everybody in the world in that it is attractive. There are people that want to go. I mean, this uh, the same thing I've said before. The migration that happened to the EPL didn't happen because of the food and the weather, okay? <laughs> it, it happened because they were paid a boatload of money. So that type of migration can happen again, and in particular, and especially to a place that is already attractive. 
Although, as you mentioned, the 2034 World Cup is in Saudi Arabia, so we're going to keep going there in the coming years. The Italian Super Cup takes place in Saudi Arabia this upcoming week. Same format as the Spanish one, four teams, uh, the semifinals, uh, Napoli, Fiorentina, Inter, Lazio, and then the winners will meet in the final. Speaking of Italian football, uh, plenty to recap in the last few days. Coppa Italia quarterfinals, Juventus with a 4-0 win over Frosinoni. Both McKinney and Wea started, and Weston McKinney with two sensational assists. I mean, he, he keeps getting better and better, and I know we focus a lot on Christian Pulisic relative to what he is doing and has done over this season in Serie A, but as I said before, I think you can make an absolute case and a fair case that Weston McKinney has done not as much, but more, and is almost more important and more valuable uh, in terms of his Serie A stint. I guess his reemergence in Serie A, because we know he's come back and gotten the work done and i think he you know some of these these passes and if you're if you're watching the show we're we're showing them right now i mean these are these are dimes that if that if pirlo was doing it they would be exalted to the highest heights <laughs> now he's getting plenty of attention uh, and plenty of accolades as as he should and again it's 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 frozenone frozenone but this isn't limited to the uh, Coppa Italia and this isn't limited to inferior opposition where Weston McKinney is uh, is shining so i'm i'm so happy again we knock on wood when it comes to all these players that they stay healthy but now that they are healthy and they've been healthy consistently i think that not only are we uh, from an American perspective, enjoying what's happening. But I think there's been a lot more credibility and appreciation outside of the American soccer uh, folks out there that are saying, hey, man, these are these are some really, really good players that are fun to watch. So the Copa Italia semis are set. Juve, Lazio, Fiorentina, Atalanta. That's not till April. The big Serie A match uh, this past weekend, AC Milan with a 3-1 home win over Roma. Adli, Giroud, and Teo Hernandez with the goals. Pulisic started, played very well, and then came off in a double substitution that involved Yunus Musa coming on. And Musa almost scored a great goal oh hitting goodness. the post. So good vibes for the American. Great vibes. You know, Pulisic, even though he didn't score, he, like you said, he was active. Um, you know, the Adli story is, is pretty amazing in terms of, you know, talk about a... A, um, a a redemption, if you will, and fighting and getting uh, you know getting the opportunities and making the most of them, and then that Musa run when he come when he comes on, and for <clears throat> for those that didn't see it, I mean he tripled through a lot of people, and while we've seen Musa in the capacity of making up 10, 15 yards very quickly and bursting through in the midfield. This was a little bit out of his comfort zone, a little bit out of his territory, and he ended up toe-poking it off the, uh, off the post. Would have been one of the great goals of the year. Um, but again, he's getting time, and when he comes on, he makes a, uh, makes a difference, and Pulisic just con- con- uh, continues on. So, big win for Milan. A lot of the talk was Jose Mourinho, who was up in the stands after being red-carded yet again. Uh, numerous times this year, who also might be on his way out. The Eredivisie came back after a long winter break. Uh, PSV with a 3-1 home win over Excelsior. Luke de Jong with a hat-trick. Dest and Tillman both started. Dest assisted Luke de Jong's second goal with a lovely cross. And then Pepe came on late, replacing Luke de Jong. Yeah, and we've, from a national team perspective, we've seen Serginho Dest on both sides. And we've we've often made the argument that there's a real possibility that he is maybe the best outside back on both sides for the national team with all due respect to Jedi Robinson. Um, 
And so, you know, this one, again, cutting, slicing, dicing, doing what Serginho Dest does, which is going forward. And when he has the ability and when he is playing on a team that, ha- that is on the front foot and it is attacking, you see the best out of him. Sometimes the best is in the form of a highlight type reel, in ter- you know, in beating players. And in this case, being a provider and providing the, uh, the service. Again, from that left-hand side with his left foot. So he, he continues to show how valuable he is going to be for Greg Berhalter and this U.S. men's national team going forward. And can he be erratic? Yeah. Can he be problematic on the field? We already, we already saw that. I think that, as I said before, I don't think that that's a, that's a major problem. But, you know, again, it seems like every week there's another one. And by the way, he'll tell you about it if you just follow him on Instagram. So if you miss it on any of the highlight shows or anything like that, just pull up his Instagram because he will be more than happy to tell you how great he is and what, he is, uh, what his latest exploits are in terms of beating players and, and uh, tr- uh, tricks and flicks. The Bundesliga is back after its winter break. On Friday, Bayern Munich with a 3-0 home win over Hoffenheim. Musiala with two goals. Harry Kane got the other. John Brooks, an unused sub. So, so much for the Harry Kane-John Brooks duel that Sean Sullivan had <laughs> hyped up in the rundown. Well, you know, we talked last show about the, the John Brooks contingent out there and kind of being shoved Bron- John Brooks. And, you know, this is, I, I, th- I think this might be an aberration uh, when it comes to it, but he didn't get the chance to shut down Kane. Did you see Kane? T- uh, I was reading an interview earlier today that um, in, in terms of him thinking about his future, again, the U.S. came up. We know that he is a big lover of America and American culture, and especially when it comes to American sports. Uh, talked again about, you know, even potentially going to NFL and kicking and all that kind of stuff. I will say, because this, this is a kind of evergreen topic about soccer players kicking field goals. Uh, inevitably, if you're a soccer player, at some point you will find yourself on a, on a football field or somebody saying, hey, try this and stuff like that. And what you will figure out very, very quickly is that it takes a whole lot more skill um, and unique skill than just being able to kick a ball. Obviously, the ball in and of itself is different. The amount of steps that you get are different and getting it up in a very quick, uh, short period of time to get over those sometimes six and six and a half foot uh, type uh, um, football players is not the easiest thing. So from afar, it might look very, very easy, but the actual technique and practical application required, not, not to say anything of the mental capacity needed. Your former teammate, Tony Miola, famously tried out with the Jets. Remember yes, that? Absolutely. Yeah. So he did, he did that stuff. And, and there are soccer players um, and some former soccer players that are now kicking uh, kicking collegiately, kicking uh, professionally out there. So it certainly can be done. But I, if you just think that, well, I'm a good soccer player, and so therefore I should be a good kicker, it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, Dortmund with a 3-0 away win over Darmstadt. Brandt, Royce, and Mukoku with the goals. Jaden Sancho came on early in the second half and assisted the Royce goal. Gio Reyna came on late in the second half. Not much time to do anything. The big story with Gio off the field he has switched agents, no longer with the Wasserman Group, now represented by Georgie Mendez. The stories are framing it as if it's to get a move in the summer, but a lot of rumors for, about him in this window. Uh, he was supposedly offered Marseille and turned it down. Now, La Liga teams are interested, Real Sociedad, Sevilla. So the Geo situation might be coming to a head here in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, let's, let's take the, uh, the representation thing first. Uh, going from Wasserman to, like you said, Georgie Mendez, um, 
super agent, if you will, and especially when it comes to Europe, Cristiano Ronaldo and all that. And, you know, I think that they recognize that they want to move and that they feel a move is there in Europe, but they want more heft, I guess, behind the representation and experience and I guess power when it comes to this crucial move. Because I think this next move for him is crucial in terms of his development and getting to a place that enables him to kind of rewrite the Gio Reyna story. Because while everybody recognizes how talented he is, it is fizzled out when it comes to Dortmund in a way that you don't normally see young players. And so he has a little bit of um, rectifying, if you will, both he as a player and I guess his representation too. So that, and players change agents, uh, change agents all the time. So you're, 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 you're saying that the stories are framing it as it's not going to happen here in this transfer window, but it's going to happen in summer? Yeah, I read a couple of stories about him switching agents, and that's how they frame it. It's to help okay. him get a move in the summer. But there are all sorts of stories about him moving. I guess it would be on loan uh, this window, and then a permanent move would occur in the summer, potentially. So maybe that's what's happening. Yeah, I never had a, you know, I had a loan down in Ecuador. And so you're coming into an already established situation. It's obviously a very different type of dynamic when you're coming in in the middle of a season, when you're coming in, like I said, to a team that's already been established both on and off the field. All of that dynamic, those, you know, those, those relationships are there and you just kind of are wedged in. And so it, I, there's almost a part of me that would, would rather kind of see him you know, play the summer with the men's national team get a break, and then come in for a preseason and a regular preseason with whatever team he needs. Because I think, I think Gio in particular, too, this might be different for other players. I think Gio in, partic- in particular, I think he needs to have that betting in period where people understand, when I say people, his teammates mostly, understand what he is and what he isn't. Because he is a strange, unique player. There's talent there. But he's not like all other players. And I think if you are playing on a team with him, it takes a little time to adjust and understand that. So I'm not sure he could hit the ground running if he, if he just changed here in, uh, in the January window. I mentioned he was offered Marseille and turned it down. He was asked why, and he said it was because Ligue 1 didn't crack Alexi Lalas' top five <laughs> destinations. He for watches, America. he knows. Gio knows. He said, yeah, I'm not doing that. Boy. Uh, what else? Elsewhere in the Bundesliga, Brendan Aronson got a rare start uh, in Union Berlin's nil-nil draw against Freiburg, and Jordan Pifox scored for Gladbach, and there went over Stuttgart. All right. Scoring goals from Americans is good. Don't uh, need me to tell you that. And the Brendan Aronson story, I'm glad that he got a start. Uh, we, are, we are seeing more and more players that have gone over to Europe and well, oftentimes we hear the Cinderella stories and the wonderful stories. We don't always hear the stories when it comes to players that have had struggles and, and difficulties and challenges. And I, I, I don't think that Brendan Aronson has failed over in Europe, but it would be interested if, if it doesn't click, if it doesn't kick on from here, you know, what, that, what that move is. But he's getting a start, which is great. So he's on the field. So, so far, uh, so good. But that's his first start since October. So it's slim pickings when it comes to Brendan Aarons. Mentioned Fox scoring. One American who did not find the back of the net is Folodin Balogun. Monaco suffered a 3-1 home defeat to Hans. Balogun didn't start, came on at halftime, didn't provide much of a spark. Uh, the Monaco coach, Adi Huter, said afterwards that uh, Balogun going through a rough patch, but he's young, he's learning, his attitude's been good. So his coach trying to circle the wagons a little bit. 
almost all these young players go through this moment of there's this ah, ooh, ah, look at this. Look at this shiny new object that we have. And they can get caught up in it. We can get caught up in it. And then they kind of settle into a different type of, uh, of level. And we look at them differently. I don't think that that's necessarily the case when it comes to flow. But again, a lot of these players are, are, are very young when they are coming out of the shoot and bursting on the scene and everybody gets excited and things are going well. And then when they get that first taste of things not going well, either just because the, the slog of a season or the change of a coach or just the soccer gods not smi- smiling upon them, especially relative to people that score goals, they can go through this, uh, this dip. doesn't mean that they're any less of a player when it comes to flow, but I do think that our conversation relative to flow as the savior, if you will, for that number nine position I think it's going to get more interesting. I think that there's going to be more challenges and it would not surprise me in the least over the next few years if after all the talk of flow, you know, the, uh, the, uh, there is a, a possible other hope out there, a new hope out there. There is another one, <laughs> if, you, if you will, when it comes to uh, the, uh, the, the anointed ones or the hope and the force out there. Anything else, Masi? Uh, the big one in the Premier League this weekend. Manchester City trailed Newcastle 2-1 to one in the second half. Kevin De Bruyne tied it up 2-2. Two, two, and then who else but Oscar Bob in stoppage time <laughs> with the winner. City take it 3-2 at St. James Park. Yep. Bob's your uncle there, my friend. Um, it, was, it, it was interesting because y- you saw it happening. And it, it, it was kind of vintage Man City. And look, not for nothing, but when you can go to your bench and bring Kevin De Bruyne in, uh, who is, you know, off his injury and licking his chops, and then a star does what a star is going to do. When everybody's looking at him, scoring goals, diamond people out, including on the, uh, the Bob goal at the end. But although Bob had some work to do. It was a wonderful first touch and a wonderful next couple of touches to put the ball in the back of the net. If you're... If you're Pep Guardiola or if you're a Man City fan right now, you got to be saying, wow. And if you are the competition of Man City, you have to be saying, look out. Speaking of the competition, I spoke to our boss, Zach Kenworthy, a big Liverpool fan, and he's happy Liverpool are atop the table, but even he acknowledged City have had their wobble and they're still right there. And now with De Bruyne back, they're going to be very tough to beat. But he does seem to think that they are going to put their eggs in the international basket, in the uh, um, in Champions League basket, and that from a league perspective, that he's sitting pretty with his Liverpool team right now. Really? Yeah. Wait, so we, we had two very different conversations really? with him. Yeah, that's not what he said to me. But. You didn't think so? You don't think so? I, th- I, I spoke with Zach. All right, maybe, maybe he's told us two different things. Or maybe I didn't speak with Zach. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a legitimate and fair argument, yeah, so maybe yeah. I'm just making his argument here in that, you know, while, to your point, this is a rising of Man City, I think that he feels that, you know, the fronts and what's going on, uh, like I said, the eggs are going to be in different baskets and ultimately it's going to be okay for his Liverpool team. Uh, The other big one in the Premier League, United and Tottenham finished 2-2 at Old Trafford. was a very entertaining game. Uh, Last thing in this segment, uh, both the Africa Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup got underway this past weekend. We'll do Africa first. The stars are really showing out there. Mo Salah with a goal and an assist in Egypt's 2-2 draw against 
Mozambique. Victor Osiman scored for Nigeria in their 1-1 draw against Equatorial Guinea. Senegal, the defending champions, beat Gambia 3-0 today. Sadio Mane got an assist there. If you're wondering about Morocco, who are looking to build off their semifinal run at the World Cup, they begin on Wednesday against Tanzania. Hakimi, Ziyech, Amrabat, and Nezri, all our old friends are back for that tournament. So uh, often running with the Africa Cup of Nations. And then the uh, Asian Cup uh, got underway. In the opening match, Qatar beat Lebanon 3-0. Uh, Akram Afif with two goals. Almoez Ali got the other. Those are names that oh, ring a bell for us. We know him well. We Cup. know him well. Uh, Australia beat India. Japan 4-2 over Vietnam. Minamina with two goals there. South Korea 3-1 over Bahrain. Kang In Lee, a PSG midfielder, scored twice. I've been talking up Japan, but look out for South Korea. They've got Kim, the Bayern Munich player, anchoring the back line. Hungman Son up top. So they've, they've got some guys. So South Korea could be dangerous as well. Uh, before we take a break, quick uh, coda in terms of uh, coming on the air here, uh, some breaking news relative to the EPL. Everton and Nottingham Forest have both been charged with breaches under the Premier League profitability and sustainability rules. Um, it's the first one from a Nottingham Forest perspective, but we know that Everton was docked to the points early on this season and was charged early on this season. So Everton can't stop cheating here. Uh, <laughs> what's going on over there, uh, Everton? So we'll see if that results in more docking of points or possibly even more severe types of sanctions for Everton and Nottingham. And we'll see if it stops there, if there are others out there, because I would think that there are other teams that are shaking in their boots right now in terms of what they've done and looking over their numbers. Anything else, Masi? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're headed to the United Soccer Coaches Convention, where we spoke with Landon Donovan and Brad Friedel and all sorts of other people. So don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Oh, listen, we had a wonderful time over in uh, Anaheim, California. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, at the uh, United Soccer Coaches Convention. We took the whole kit and caboodle. Everybody came down. Wonderful um, work to set up our booth there on, I guess, what used to be called Podcast Row. But now podcasts are much more than just podcasts and bigger platforms. So it's just basically media road there. All sorts of our friends and different people out there talking about the game and talking about the American game. And it was fun. And there are all sorts of personalities that are there that are coming through stuff that we had scheduled stuff that we didn't even have scheduled and just brought them, uh, brought them in. It was fun to work with you down there and to, uh, to see a lot of people who came by. So many people came by telling us that they listen to the pod. They watch the pod. They love the pod. And uh, it warmed the cockles of our heart to hear, to hear that time and time again. As I said, we talked to a lot of different people. Oh, I also should say, um, shout out to uh, Brecken Mozingo. You might remember her when I went to St. Louis for the Missouri Athletic Club uh, Herman Award. She was one of the finalists. And um, she got drafted in the NWSL draft, which was actually happening at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. So congratulations to her. She got drafted by the Utah Royals. She is from Utah, so she's going to be playing at home if that all uh, goes the way we think it would, uh, would. But, you know, as I mentioned, we talked to a lot of different people. And one of the questions that I asked was, give me your best and worst thing about American soccer. We had many more questions, and you'll be able to see, see and hear all of the interviews uh, on YouTube. We'll put them all up there. But we basically coalesced it. And when I say we, I mean, Sean, put it together, this supercut, if you will, of many of the people that we talked to answering that question. Give me the best thing about American soccer and the worst thing. Joining us now, the great Landon Donovan. Thank you for uh, coming on the pod here. Best thing about American soccer and the worst thing about American soccer. 
I mean, that's a big question. I know, exactly. <laughs> could be on the field, could be off the field, could be big thing, little thing. Well, I don't want to get in trouble here, so I, I tend to do, do that here, when man, I speak. We yeah. get in trouble. When this I talk to you, I get in trouble. Show. Best thing about American soccer is I think it's diversity. Um, worst thing about American soccer is probably the fractured uh, landscape, especially the youth fractured youth landscape. See, there you go. You're not going to get in trouble for that. I'm canceled, baby. Ah, you're good. You're uncancelable. Joining us now, uh, my friend, uh, our former colleague when it comes to Fox, uh, and just one of the great American soccer players in history, proud Ohioan, is that what you say over Ohio. there? Brad Friedel, as I live and breathe, my friend. Give me the best part about American soccer and the worst part about American soccer. The worst part's um, the easy one. It's the, the, the political setup. Uh, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole too much, but you know what I'm talking. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll leave that to so you. So the federation? No, 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 no. The like the poli the political landscape that is like within youth within the youth yeah. soccer world. The where they're fight the fiefdoms and the soccer and, and wars with and the Z and, and, and they're fight they're fighting with like thinking that their amateur club that is pay as you play is better than a free of charge professional club, and then they fight against it. And there's a, there's a lot at the younger ages a, a, a lot of fighting like it, it's Ego it, and money it's and just a, it, it, it's just a mess right like and that yeah. i think that's the worst part because as soon as you, you could fix it in one state and another state gets worse and you got the populated states you got california you got texas you got down you know the florida areas and stuff that there's so many good players there really is and getting the good coaches and infrastructure in gets blocked a lot I think that's the the, wor the worst. The best is that we are a country, if you look around the world, maybe India, if they could ever get it, that has the highest ceiling of potential for growth with a developed country for a sport, and I just do not see it slowing down for a long time. Um, I, I, I do some work with investment groups purchasing clubs. America. Amer I mean, they want to know everything it is. They want the multi-club system, but they, America, what's going to go on? Mm -hmm. 2020, you got Club World Cup, you got World Cup, you got the women's game, the and then don't you start. The women's game is, is enormous for, for teams. I mean, look what's going on in the Premier League now. And then they look back to America. So I think the best thing about U.S. soccer right now is the growth potential in so many areas, and people around the world are taking in not small little notices like the, the amount of scouts that come over here from the Bundesliga and from Premier League it used to be uh, well let's get them into Czech Republic or Poland see how they do a small team in Holland see how they do before we go uh-uh the big boys are coming over here to try to get players and coaches and technical staff and medical staff at, at younger ages and that when their careers are just starting so they don't have to pay the top dollar for them I think that's really exciting for for the country as a whole. Randy Waldrum joins us here. Pitt, Nigeria, all sorts of things. Give me the best and the worst thing about American soccer. It could be on the field or off the field, but yeah, pay for pay to play. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think we. That's the best. <laughs> no, 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 no. no that, uh, I think that's uh, that's the worst. I think. Um, you know, we've been fortunate over the years to see the growth of the game. Mm -hmm. So we're in such a different place with the growth and the talent pool that we're putting out and the player. So the best part of it is with such a large country, we have players. People that tell us we don't have enough good players to, 
compete for a World Cup in the men's side or to continue to be the best in the world on the women's side, that everybody's catching up. Well, we still have enough players and talent and enough good coaches in this country if it's harnessed the right way um, to achieve those goals, right? And it, it kind of upsets me when people say, well, the world's catching up on the women's side. Well, the, what the world is doing is they're now investing more money. Spain's invested more money, the Dutch, the French, you know, all the top teams. England, they're just now starting to invest money, whereas the U.S. was doing it earlier. So that's why they're catching up. It doesn't mean their players are becoming better and better. I, I, could, I could go through a list of young players, you know, for you right now, like a Jaden Shaw, that's going to be a great star for our national teams. And we, we have a pipeline of that. But I think our infrastructure is not right. You know, I think the way we, our scouting system on the women's side, now I can't, I can't speak to the men's because I don't know it well enough. But on the women's side, I, I, I can sit here and honestly say some of the scouts we have, I look at them and go, what have you done to be able to, to be identifying players? You haven't ever been at that level. You don't know what it takes to play. And I, I think then club soccer is a nightmare. I mean, it's as good as there are so many clubs around, it's, it's um, you're just fighting for players and fighting for results and players are hopping from club to club. So I think that system is a nightmare. Pay to play, parents now aren't accountable. They, the, the kids not getting playing time, they just jump. Players don't learn anymore how to go. I have to grind this out and, and get better. I'm not playing because I, I got to get better, right? And uh, so it's easy to just go somewhere else and put on a different jersey and play. So there's a lot of infrastructure things that I think we've got wrong. And I don't know how to solve it because these clubs are making so much money. Yeah. They're not going to give up. You know, they're, they're never going to come together. Real quick, and, and I know we don't have a lot of time, but interesting, when I went out to Germany for the um, World Cup in Germany, we did a coaching course with the NSCA over there, and they took us to the Federation and kind of discussed their system. But over there, the coaches are so player development oriented. If, if you have a youth player that plays for Schalke, a youth team, and you're in the second or, you know, the second division, and you have, you're coaching a team in, in Bayern, you push your player to him if he wants them. You just, even if it's outside the club, we're pushing our best players forward. Here, you can't even, in, in a club, you can't even get a, an age group within your own club to push a player up because it affects that coach's team. You know, like, it's just all kinds of things like that. I just think we've got a, we've got a really, you know, we had a 10-year plan 10 years ago to get us to this point. It's time to really have another plan to prepare for the next two World Cups away, you know, on the men and women's side. I have a legend here in Peter Wiltz. Yes. You have your own ideas. I want to hear some of those right now as to here as we sit in this new year in 2024. The good and the bad of American soccer. I know it's a big question, but I'm just going to start it out like that and let you go. Well, the good is that the sport has never been as strong, as healthy, as broad as it is now. It's incredible. If you think back where it was 10 years ago, and then would have thought, how many teams, mm -hmm. for better or worse, how many leagues, the quality, not just the quantity, of these leagues, teams, and players, and coaches, I don't think anyone would have predicted it. So I, I think it's all wonderful. The flip side of it is, and, and I'm a contributor to this, there's these soccer wars going on. Mm -hmm. It's not united. Whatever the opposite of united is, right. it's divided. and. I suppose in some ways that uh, creates competition, and competition ultimately 
is supposed to, through evolution, lead to a better product. So I hope that's where this all gets us, but we're in such a crazy moment right now with people with different ideas, myself included, that there's not this unified direction forward. All right, that was interesting, and, and thank you to everybody that uh, came on with us and you know told us their best and worst thing. Uh, we'll also have a another super clip in our show later on this week with Carly and Mo and uh, Warren and all the different uh, folks that we had out there. Myself and Carly and Mo Adu and Warren Barton and Landon Donovan all did a panel there about what's going to come this summer with Fox's plans. Give everybody a little peek behind the curtain as to what we are going to do with the Copa America and Euros, basically sunrise to sundown soccer when it comes to Fox and uh, what we are, what we are doing. Mossy, if I ask you the same question, give me the best and worst thing about American soccer. What would you say? The best would be the untapped potential still. Mm -hmm. Virtually all the top soccer nations around the world have reached a point where they kind of are what they are. While the U.S. still has such upside, the U.S. is sort of a LeBron circa 2004 as a soccer nation where there's so much room to grow still. Uh, the worst, I don't know if it's the worst, but something I don't love sometimes is the discourse on social media. In general, sports media now, it's become too much this prism of courage and cowardice, while it should be a prism of smart and stupid. Uh, I think, you know, too many people get credit for just being hypercritical and that shows that uh, you're willing to go after people. But a lot of times the criticisms don't make any sense. So we, we've made a virtue out of just being loud and criticizing people. We act like that's a virtue in and of itself. Well, I dare not ask you where you put me on that spectrum uh, or what side you put me on in terms of smart and <laughs> stupid. Uh, so if someone were to ask me, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish up our segment with this, best and worst. When it comes to the worst, uh, and I've often talked about this, the... And it, it doesn't apply to everybody, but it certainly applies to a lot. And I will raise my hand. This this certainly applies to me at times. The the insecurity that we have, the inferiority complex that we talk about that is legendary, um, the the seemingly not just evergreen, but uh, almost need to eat our own and or apologize for what we aren't as a soccer nation, either from what we were doing on and off the field. And I guess all that culminates into these soccer wars with a Z. I think that they, they take a tremendous amount of effort and time and resources that could be spent so much better on other things. I, I don't necessarily agree with you in terms of the criticism and the analysis and the debate and even the cynicism out there. I don't think that that in and of itself is, is problematic. Uh, so that's the worst thing. The best thing is, and it maybe is the the yin and the yang of us as American soccer members of the community out there, is this unique and, and quirky American soccer culture that has ris- risen out of obscurity and out of the niche. And it's it's passionate, it's vibrant, it's discerning. It is intelligent, and I would even argue more intelligent than many cultures out there probably out of necessity. And I ultimately believe that it is something to grab hold on, not just internally and to, to harness it and to own it. Uh, but even externally, I think it's going to become more and more attractive as we, as we continue to grow. And I guess it goes back to your point about the potential that America has both on and off the field. And there's a reason why so many around the world, and you saw it in that, in, at the convention, 
continue to look to America. There is gold in them, their hills, and there is growth in that in them, their hills. And people want to mine it from the outside. We should want to mine it from the inside. But if and when we do it, it's always going to be uniquely American. And that is never a bad thing. Can I just second that? Well, you said I had a great time down there. Everybody was super friendly. I didn't stick around for the panel. My goal was to be on the 405 by 405. <laughs> and you were. Which I achieved. But yeah, uh, it, it is funny, this sort of like quasi level of fame I have now. Uh, when I'm next to you and somebody comes up for a picture, it's 50-50 whether they want me in it or taking it. And sometimes I misread the body language. I'm like, of course you can have a picture. And then they handed me the camera. Like, okay, just make sure you get Alexi and I a vertical and horizontal. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> David Mossy is, is not framing this correctly. He is a star. People love him. They want to hang out with him. They want to pick his brain. He is a reluctant star. I will give you that. But he's becoming a little bit more comfortable as we go along with uh, the notoriety and I guess the fame uh, that has uh, has come with this. And I love it. I it, it it makes me so happy when people recognize you in a positive way. Uh, and 99.999% is, 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 is positive in terms of the interactions that you have. I hope I'm not speaking for you here, but it, it shows how important you are to uh, what we do here and also shows how this has grown year after year after year. So it was fun to see him in, in the midst of all of these soccer people and track suits as far as the eye can see and all sorts of booths that are selling this and that, some huge, huge brands and some tiny little brands People that are, uh, you know, built, you know, millions and millions of dollars into it, and people are just starting out as uh, as new um, entrepreneurs, if you will, in the soccer market. All brought together because of the love of the game and because of again that potential that we talk about in the U.S. Did you enjoy the lunch that Aaron Schechter got? You she made a run to the food truck, got everybody food except me. So I was wondering how you didn't get anything. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was really good. Uh, But you should expect that from her. I mean, listen, she's a tough nut to crack, but this whole production goes away without her. So do not irritate her, please. On a serious note, it was great to have her there and Kyla and Sean Sullivan just see the crew sort of out of their element uh, out of uh, the studio. They did a great job. And as you can see, yeah, you can hear the quality and what they did, uh, both in terms of the audio and the video. And they worked their ass off and set us up. And again, it takes a village, my friends. So uh, it was fun. Uh, Thanks also again to Mo and Warren and Carly and... um, Landon Donovan for participating in that uh, in that panel. They were all wonderful. It was you know, a couple hundred people jam packed, and, and it was really fun to uh, to hear about the way that they're thinking about this summer, which is so important. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And keep in mind that our handle out there on the uh, social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi. And use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. What do the folks want to know this show, Masi? Uh, First up, a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Masi. This is Luke from Atlanta. Um, I just have a question for both of you. Um, first, what is your most down-to-earth, realistic expectation for what you think the U.S. men's national team is going to do at Copa America this summer? And what is your most hopeful, realistic expectation for what they could do this summer? Uh, thanks, and I love the podcast. Appreciate it, guys. Bye. Okay, thank you, uh, Luke from Atlanta. Just a reminder, just so people know, U.S. is in Group C, the United States, Uruguay, 
Panama, and Bolivia. Uh, they would, if they get out of this group, they would then be bracketed up in the uh, in the knockout rounds with Group D, which right now has Brazil, Colombia, and Paraguay, and to be named later, right? Is that right? Correct. That mess. Okay. So the pathway to a Copa America title for the U.S. goes through that group. Uh, that Group D. Uh, so best case scenario is that they win it. Now, keep in mind, the United States has gone to multiple semifinals of Copa Americas uh, in uh, in their past, whether it is uh, Centenario or whether it was back in 1995 down in, um, down in Uruguay. So that in and of itself, uh, to go to a semifinal is not crazy. And therefore, if you're in a semifinal, anything can happen and so it can get you to a final. So that's the best case scenario. They would have to go through, as we said, some very, very good teams, including potentially a Brazil. But we've talked a lot on this pod about what Brazil is and isn't. Neymar is not going to be involved. They are in a state of kind of flux from a qualifying, a World Cup qualifying campaign right now. They're going to qualify, but this isn't as if they are going through and wiping out anybody. And Colombia is just sitting there uh, looking pretty, and they could be really, really dangerous and maybe even more dangerous when it comes, uh, when it comes to Brazil. So that's, that's the ultimate, and I don't think that that is out of the realm of possibility. In 2024, the United States playing in a Copa America, albeit in the U.S., but with the likes of Brazil and with a Messi-led Argentina, winning a Copa America is certainly within the realm of possibility. A lot has to go right. When it comes to the, the minimum expectation, I guess, and this is also relative to a lot of the talk we're having with Greg Berhalter and what he has to do, I guess, in everybody's eyes. And, but different people believe different things. Obviously, get out of the group. So is that the minimum? If you get out of the group and then you lose to Brazil or something like that, I'm not going to be happy about it. But I guess a lot depends on how they play. And I guess the comp or the compare and contrast would be that round of 16 game that the United States played against the Netherlands, where not only did they lose, but uh, they had moments, but in totality, they were not the better team and they didn't show any signs that they possibly could be the better team on that day. And, we're, and so if you're playing Brazil, for example, in that, in that knockout round of the Copa America, and you play them head-to-head, toe-to-toe, and you give them a game, and you go out because somebody on Brazil does something extraordinary or crazy, then I think the feeling is going to be different. But certainly that would be the minimum. I guess the minimum would be getting out of your group. But even that, to me, sounds a little... I'm about winning now, so I don't care how it happens. I think the minimum has to be winning a knockout game. I agree 100%. I, I have very little to add. Uh, group stage is unmitigated failure. Semifinals are better is undoubted success. Quarterfinals is that in-between where the how matters, as you said. If, if you outplay Brazil and lose because of a couple of unlucky bounces, you could live with that. Or if it's like that Argentina semifinal in the last Centenario 4-0 where you were never in the game, then that's bad. The exciting thing about a Brazil-US matchup would be the tactical battle between Greg Berhalter and Dorival Jr. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm here for it. Bring it. Bring it. Uh, what else we got? Uh, next up, uh, Sounders Rumors asks on Ooh. X, uh, thoughts on independent clubs joining MLS Next Pro? So this gets back to something, I, I think we might have mentioned this, but um, 
Connecticut United FC is the newest team uh, or brand, if you will. Well, the brand's not out, but the name the name is out. And they are the newest MLS Next team. Next Pro, excuse me. Now, for those that don't know, MLS Next Pro is basically the reserve league for Major League Soccer. This started a few years ago. Before that, most of the teams played in USL. And MLS said, we're going to take it all in-house. That's all fine and well, and, it, and in theory, it sounds good. But what has ended up happening is that it hasn't been as competitive as MLS would like, and it hasn't been as relevant as MLS would like, which is why that whole brouhaha that came over a few weeks ago when it comes to the Open Cup came, uh, came about. But one of the things that MLS is looking to, to do in order to make it more competitive and to, I guess, pump it up is to also not just have these MLS Next Pro teams that are affiliated with their, um, with their parent, which would be the MLS team, but also to bring in independent teams. And that's where Connecticut comes, uh, comes in. Now, why would somebody want to do this? Well, we have the answer for you, and I'm not going to give it. I'm going to actually throw to Andre Swanston. You ask, who is Andre Swanston? Well, he is the founding partner of MLS Next Pro Connecticut United Football Club. Uh, he's a really interesting guy. We talked to him down in Anaheim at the, uh, at the uh, coaches' convention. He is the co-founder and CEO of True Optic, which is this data and streaming media advertising company that was acquired for a lot of money, which is where he made his money. And he is self-made and has always wanted to be involved in professional sports and, in this case, professional soccer. And he looked at the landscape and said, this is the best thing for me to do right now to get into it. But it was interesting to hear him talk about why he wanted to do this. So run that clip. The goal is MLS. I didn't get into this to be the owner of a lower division team. I got into that because I look at that as the, the stepping stone for something bigger, right? And so what I've been telling people is that we're, we're going to build the, 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 the foundation, right, um, both literally and figuratively to be the next expansion team in MLS. And, oh, I, and I think that is, is three core things. We already have on paper with the data the best expansion market, right, in terms of streaming, subscription, less competition, uh, more Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 com- uh, companies per capita than any other potential expansion market. Um, and so now we are launching a free youth academy. So we're about youth development. There's a whole lot of leagues saying they're about youth development, but their academies are subsidized. Their teams are, are subsidizing the pro team by, by charging families five, six, seven, eight grand a year. We're having a free youth academy where we have a 20 acres of land in a downtown urban area close to public transportation. So we have a viable location for a urban stadium. And so the goal is that after we build that infrastructure, that foundation, we, I think, will have everything between the market demographics, the youth development, and the, the next World team and the stadium project to be the, the most viable expansion market. Was the USL path too expensive? Or was it just the value, again, of being in that ecosystem that is MLS and associating with that now powerful brand that you hope to be a part of in a full MLS capacity. Yeah, listen, so no, the USL path wasn't too expensive, but it didn't make sense relative to where I wanted to end up. Okay, so that was Andre Swanston, uh, the founding partner of MLS, MLS Next Pro 
Connecticut United Football Club, Club, as we said. And this is an independent team that is coming into this reserve league that is MLS Next Pro. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about why and that aspirational part of it. And he laid it out very clearly. He wants this team to be a full MLS team in the future. And he sees the pathway is much clearer and much easier when he and this team is part already of the ecosystem that is MLS Next. My question would be, what if, for those that don't know, there is a uh, team called Hartford Hartford Athletic, which plays in Connecticut and uh, plays in the USL Championship. What if Hartford Athletic suddenly came to MLS and said, you know what, here's $500 million, half a a billion dollars, which is now probably going to be the going rate for an expansion team, and we're going to build a stadium. What would MLS say? To that, why would they simply go with the Connecticut United Football Club when there could possibly be others that are going to pay maybe even more or certainly earlier than the Connecticut Football Club? So I get being part of MLS and I get the thought that that makes you more valuable, but ultimately MLS from an expansion perspective is going to go where the money is. And as long as you have good quality ownership that wants to spend that money and is willing to pay what the expansion fee is, that's what's going to carry the day. Um, I do appreciate the fact that, that Andre told us what he wants to do, and I'll be interested to see how different or different at all this project looks relative to other teams, whether it's other, relative to other MLS Next Pro teams or relative to other USL teams out there. And this competition that does exist between USL and in particular between USL and MLS Next Pro and what MLS Pro wants to do, you know, that's going to continue on. But again, a fascinating conversation with him. He's a really interesting and smart guy and he's getting involved in soccer and that cannot be bad. That is always good. So definitely listen to the rest of our interview there with uh, with Andre Swanston. And thank you for the question there, uh, Sounders Rumors. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. I'm getting a little nostalgic. Uh, see, I'm getting, I'm, I'm thinking back in, in time. And part of it is because I saw a, uh, a tweet last night from, uh, what is it, Galaxy History over there? Galaxy being the Los Angeles Galaxy. And uh, they posted uh, the fact that it was lost on me that on this day, which would have been yesterday, I guess would have been Sunday the 14th, uh, that I returned from retirement and signed with the Galaxy as a Discovery player. And then they went on to list the success that we had. And it was incredibly successful over the next three years. But it got me thinking. And I, to- I told my wife last night that it's almost to the day, 20 years ago, that I guess within the month of December and then January, that I retired for good from the game and then transitioned into the front office in this case of uh, the San Jose, uh, San, o- San Jose earthquakes. And, you know, a, ret- a retirement for a player rarely happens the way that you want. Very few get to ride off into the sunset, and I'm no different in that I finished the year with the Galaxy. I walked into the late, great Ziggy Schmidt's room, and he said, um, it's not going to work going forward. He was honest and open with me. I said, well, is it money? or No, it has nothing to do with money. And we're going to go into, I guess it would be a different direction type of talk. Fair enough. Um, but it meant that I could have, you know, chased the dream some more. At that point, I was 32, 33 years old. And 
coming to the end from a physical perspective, but I certainly had a few more. One door closes, another one opens, and right about this time, uh, in the next week here or so, would be the 20th, 20 years since uh, I was named the president uh, and GM of the San, the San Jose Earthquakes. I was given an incredible opportunity. I suppose nowadays you would have to you know, call it a privilege, right? And I, I don't deny that. I was uh, given an opportunity that many others wouldn't get. And I learned a tremendous amount and got dropped into this San Jose uh, Earthquakes uh, universe. A San Jose Earthquakes that was going through a lot of changes and ultimately resulted in the San Jose Earthquakes moving to Houston and then coming back uh, in a much bigger and better form. But, you know, this was a, a staff that was looking uh, to me and others to give them some direction as to what was going on. I'm not sure that I was able to provide that in the time, and I was learning on the job. I made plenty of mistakes. For those that are watching, you can see me uh, here in a, uh, a picture in my first press conference. And even back then, I was talking about the teams that I was associated with making them into uh, super clubs. But it was a crash course in the business of soccer, and it became very, very clear immediately if, if I needed any clarification that my career as a, play, as a player was done. And it was very, very quick in terms of that uh, transition. And as I said, I went on and had a wonderful, wonderful time over the next few years uh, being involved, not just with the San Jose Earthquakes, but with a, a, a number of teams in a front office capacity. I have to ask, what's yeah. with the sideburns? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, Mossy, if you remember back in the early aughts, there was a real kind of, I guess, Euro-British mod um, Oasis-y thing. I know Oasis is more 90, but there was, a, there was a sideburn thing because I, I have no recollection of really saying, oh, I have to have sideburns. And yet it made perfect sense when I was staring into the mirror to have sideburns. Do you remember that uh, true crime doc, The Jinx, in which Robert Durst ended up confessing at the end? The guy who hosted it, Andrew Jarecki, had very similar sideburn. Look it up, folks. It's a great reference. <laughs> uh, that's what the first thing I thought of when I saw that picture. Well, you know, as I said, I, I learned a tremendous amount, and I did a lot of different things. Uh, and, you know, I remember almost the first day I was there going out and selling tickets door-to-door -door and doing all that. For those that are watching, uh, you can see this picture. And for those that aren't, I will describe it as... That's yours truly walking through the streets of San Jose with, I don't know, four-inch heels, I would say, on, uh, and cargo pants, as one, uh, as one should, and a San Jose Earthquakes. That right there, my friends, is a, a charity walk that we did uh, years and years ago called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. Uh, it is an international type of march, happens all over, where men and boys um, put on heels and walk down the road or walk through a, uh, a course basically to raise awareness and raise money uh, to end sexual and, uh, and domestic violence out there. And so we were doing all of these different uh, community events. I was learning about how the business of soccer works. I was being exposed to a side of the game that as a player, you are rarely exposed to. I was making new friends. Uh, and what I was really being, uh, being exposed to and learning was an appreciation and a respect for the men and women that work each and every day to sell the game. And as I've said time and time again, as a player, you're, for, for understandable reasons, kind of insulated and isolated from all that. And this crash course into the business of soccer exposed me to 
all of these incredible men and women that work hard. And we did, you know, so many different events and you really had to get out there and sell. In this case, it would be the San Jose earthquakes. I went on to the, uh, the Metro stars and then which transitioned into the Red Bulls and then came back to the Los Angeles, but it was still blocking and tackling and, you know, spreading the gospel, if you will. And I don't regret it for a second. As I said, I made plenty of mistakes and there were good times and, and bad times, many more good times. Uh, and I still have relationships and, and friendships with many of the people that I met over the years at these, uh, at these different places. But 20 years, it, it, it doesn't seem that long ago. And yet it is, <laughs> it is a long time ago. There are people that I'm meeting that weren't even born back then. And now, you know, I haven't kicked a ball in now over 20 years. And yet I'm still thankful that I'm able to make a living in this, uh, in this incredible sport, in this incredible country. So just a little trip down memory lane when, there when it comes to uh, 20 years ago. So here's to another 20 years, my friend. Uh, anything before we go, Mossy? Yeah, one last thing. Uh, the uh, FIFA, the best ceremony is today mm-hmm. in London. Uh, interesting. Lionel Messi will not be attending. He doesn't want to interrupt his preseason with uh, Inter Miami. He is one of the finalists on the men's side with Mbappe and Holland. On the women's side, Bon Marti, Linda Caicedo, and Jennifer Hermoso. So we'll find out later today in the next few hours. Well, I was part of that uh, that pageantry last year and that ceremony last year, but I'm not this year. So obviously, Messi found out that I wasn't going to be there and acted accordingly. So. You know, that's the that's the way uh, that it goes. Anything before we go? That's it. Okay. Thank you for listening and downloading and subscribing and reviewing and doing all the different things that you do. As I mentioned, we'll have all sorts of content that we got um, uh, a couple days ago coming out this week uh, on the show in an edited form and over on YouTube. You'll see all of the interviews. We have so many different people that we uh, that we talk to, incredible people on and off the field that we will be putting out uh, this week. And thanks again to the, uh, uh, to the United uh, Soccer Coaches Convention down there and all the people that uh, enabled us to bring the show on the road. We'll be back again next week. Please stay warm and safe out there wherever you are. I know it is incredibly cold in much of the United States, uh, so definitely stay warm. We will talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.